Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Hope at Crossroads. We're here to serve you in any way that we can. For more information about our resources or our church, you can check out hope at crossroads.org. Online, you can find access to other resources like devotionals and study books. Thanks again for joining us. And now let's start this week's message. Thank you so much, church. You can be seated. I know we're here for the Lord, but uh, could you encourage our worship team and especially our guests, uh, Bethany and uh, Will, to be here with us today leading? Can we just say thank you, Lord, for them? Our uh, worship team will be having our second meeting, worship search team, our second meeting today. So we ask you to continue to remember uh, them in prayers, if you would. Hebrews chapter 6, if you have your Bible, if you will open there. Uh, Hebrews chapter 6, while you're turning there, let me also say a thank you to our church. Um, I, I can't help but as we were watching the video with the children, just uh, this overwhelming gratitude that I have for our church family to make the investment that we make. Uh, and I know with our uh, children over the last month in Bible school, and anytime uh, you guys are out in the community uh, representing our church, as I had the privilege to do this past week with Lynette uh, at a youth camp, um, I, I, have, I have kind of started saying this phrase, I think I've said it the last several months, that the DNA of Crossroads is being spread everywhere. And uh, I know uh, last week, uh, just at the camp that I was at last week, uh, we saw 25 kids give their lives to the Lord and about eight feel like God was calling them into vocational ministry. And I told that uh, group of students, uh, I was a representative of Crossroads Baptist Church. So uh, thank you for your prayers for that and the impact of what God did on the lives of our children at Kids Camp this past week. God is doing a lot of things and uh, you are a part of that and I want you to know that. So thank you so much. Uh, for praying for uh, all these things that have been going on. And the summer's not over yet. I know it's, I know there's a few weeks left. Uh, I'm not going to mention that S word that ends, starts with S and ends with cool. It's quickly approaching uh, for the students. I know they're maybe not excited about that, but we're going to squeeze as much out of the rest of the summer as we can. So uh, thank you. Thank you for being here today. Hebrews chapter 6. Here's what Paul says. Or excuse me, we think. A lot of biblical scholars think, Paul. We really don't know who wrote Hebrews. I tend to think maybe it was Paul and maybe somebody else wrote it with him. But we don't know. Hebrews chapter 6. Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about Christ. Love that word. We've, we've talked about how often the word therefore is there. And we need to say, what is therefore, therefore? It's there because of everything he said in chapters 1 through 5. So he gets to chapter 6 and he says, in light of all that... Leaving the elementary teaching about Christ, let us press on to maturity. Not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead's, dead works and of faith toward God. Of instruction about washings, laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we shall do if God permits. For in this case of those who have once been enlightened who have tasted of the heavenly gift and have been partakers of the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away. It is impossible to renew them again to repentance, since they again crucify to themselves the Son of God and put Him to open shame. 
For ground that drinks the rain which often falls upon it and brings forth vegetation useful to those for whose sake it is also tilled receives a blessing from God. But if it yields thorns and thistles, it is worthless and close to being cursed and ends up being burned. But beloved, we are convinced of better things concerning you and the things that accompany salvation, though we are speaking in this way. For God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward his name. And having ministered and still ministering to the saints, and we desire that each one of you shall show the same diligence as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end, that you may not be sluggish but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Verse 13, for when God made the promise to Abraham, since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself saying, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply you. And thus, having patiently waited, he obtained the promise. For men swear by one greater than themselves, and with them an oath given as confirmation is an end of every dispute. In the same way, God desiring even more to show the, show the heirs of the promise the unchangeableness of his purpose, interposed with an oath in order that by two unchangeable, some translations may say immutable, I like that word, Two unchangeable or immutable things in which it's impossible for God to lie, we may have strong encouragement, we who have fled for refuge in laying hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have is an anchor of the soul, a huge a, a hope, both sure and steadfast, and one which enters within the veil, where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. You're saying, who is that? We'll talk about that next week. We'll talk about that next week. So what can we get from what the writer of Hebrews is trying to say to us? I'm kind of going to break this out in a few verses at a time. In the first three verses, we see what he's challenging us to do, and that is to move from elementary teachings to more mature teachings. In short, he's basically saying, grow up. Grow up. As a believer, grow up. It's interesting He mentions six things in those verses that he says are elementary. Some of them I would look at and I go, wow, that's pretty deep. But he says these are elementary. Let me just list them for you in case you, if you want to write in your Bible, you can. You may see all six of them. The first one he talks about is repentance and salvation. He says we want to move beyond that. We want to move beyond understanding that Christ came, paid the penalty of our sin was the propitiation, which is a big word, which means he paid the ransom debt. He paid the debt we could not owe. He gave his life on a cross to bring us salvation and back into right relationship with God. He says that's elementary. Then the second thing he talks about is faith to grow. Maturity. Faith toward God, he says at the end of verse 1. Then he talks about washings, or some translations say cleansing rites. He's talking about being baptized. He's saying, once you come to Christ and you recognize the the penalty that you had and the payment that Christ gave for you, and you're baptized, those those are first steps in the life of a believer. Those are elementary. And then he talks about laying on of hands. Verse 2, the resurrection of the dead, understanding that everybody who comes to know Christ and dies in Christ will be raised to life with Christ. The resurrection, we will, we will accompany Christ, we will be with Jesus again, and then we will have eternal life. And then the last one, he says, judgment, we will face judgment. Paul says of all those things, and as a, as a pastor preacher, I'll tell you, I don't have full knowledge of all those things. 
And yet he says, those are elementary teachings. In other words, he's saying, the Lord has so much more he wants to teach. Let's get to where we understand those things and move beyond to the deeper things of God. Those are elementary And what he's trying to get us to do, again, is to spiritually grow up. He kind of gives those, if you will, as kind of six pillars that he's going to build this building on. And you, you, you will know, and we'll soon see out here, Lord willing, in the near future, that you first have a foundation, and then you start building upon the foundation. And what he's saying is, if you're going to get to the deeper things of God that he wants to reveal to you, you have to make sure your footings, your pillars, your foundation is in place. And he gave to us what those foundational things are. So the question that I wrote down for me this morning is, do I have a clear grasp of what those things are? We're going to get into your outline on your bulletin here in just a second. This is just kind of the setup he's giving for what he's getting ready to say. Uh, one person says it this way, when we consider the rudiments, these practical, basic things one by one, it's remarkable, if you think about that list, how much of that could have taken place in an Orthodox Jewish community. That understanding. Nowhere in there does, has he yet said, he'll get into that a little bit later, has he yet talked about the relationship with Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. He's kind of setting up to go there. It's profoundly significant how many things in there are certainly Jewish ideas that the Jews would have known. And we, we remember he's writing to people who have come to know Christ, who are living in that Jewish culture. It's a reminder that uh, the Word of God is amazing because so many of the authors spoke to the group of people in context who they were speaking to with, with the right language, the right terminology. Uh, I remember uh, the, the seminary classes that I had, they would always tell you the number one rule of communication is to know your audience. So if I'm speaking to a group of kids, I'm probably not going to talk about propitiation and justification and all those big words that those kids will be looking at me going, what, what, huh? What are you talking about? And so he's saying, those of us who are older, not necessarily physically older, but spiritually older and more mature, should have an understanding of some of those things. But then he gets into the meat of what he wants to say. It's in verse 4. For in this case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift, have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit, have tasted the good word of God, the powers of the age to come. He says, and then they have fallen away. It's impossible to renew them again to repentance. Now, what in the world is he saying? I'm glad you asked. He's talking about, if you're following along in your outline there on your bulletin, it's the peril of only tasting. We're going to talk about that this morning. But he uses one word in that verse that's very interesting. He says it's impossible. There are few things for God that are impossible. I used to have kids try to trick me when I first started preaching. And they'd say, Pastor, is there a rock too heavy that can God create a rock too heavy that he himself can't pick up? Think about that. I guess he could because he's God. But at the same time, he's God, so he could pick it up, right? I mean, it's kind of a trick question, right? They would try to throw me off. There's a few things that 
the Word of God says are impossible. And we're going to find out when we get on into verse 18 that we, we're told it's impossible for God to lie. It's impossible, when we get to chapter 10, we'll find out that the author says it's impossible that the blood of bulls and goats can take away sin. Only the blood of Jesus Christ can do that. We'll find out when we get to Hebrews chapter 11 that the writer of Hebrews says it's impossible to please God without faith. So there are some things Scripture says are impossible. And this is one place where Scripture says it's impossible if you've been enlightened and tasted of God and shared in the Holy Spirit that you actually could, if you fall away, could be renewed in your repentance. So what's he saying? He's, he's asking a question that we ask a lot in our culture. And depending on how much you believe of Scripture gives, depends on what your answer is. And here's the question. Have you ever seen somebody who maybe they walk the aisle, maybe they confess Christ, maybe they get baptized? Then they go out into the world, and maybe a year later, two years later, three years later, you never see them. They're never plugged into a faith community. They're not following Jesus. Their life goes off the deep end. And we start to ask questions. At least I do. I have a feeling you're like me. I go, wow, what happened to that person? Were they, were they truly saved? Did they truly give their life to the Lord? Did they, did they miss it? Did they, what, what, what happened that they would seemingly come to know Christ and then their life careen uh, into oblivion? Did they, did they just renounce their salvation? Did they give up on Jesus? What did they do? That's, that's the question that the author is trying to wrestle with here. And we know when we get on, we'll see when we get into Hebrews chapter 10, he kind of answers a little bit and he, he says this in Hebrews chapter 10. You can flip over there if you'd like. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 28 and 29. He says this, How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them and insulted the Spirit of grace? So he's asking a question that in Baptist denomination, and I would say as a Christian, at least for me personally, I've answered. And it's the question of, can you truly be saved and lose your salvation? Can you, can you taste the goodness of God and walk away from God such to a point, he's asking this question, such to a point that God would look at you and say, it is impossible for you to come back to me. To repent and to come back to me. I have kind of cut you off. Is that what he's... That's what he's asking. And so what's, what's the answer? Well, you have to dig into this question that he's asking and look at the words that he's asking because I'll just go ahead and t- give you the answer. The answer is, is someone who truly... And I'm going to give you some scriptures to back it up if you want to write this down in a minute... Someone who truly comes to Christ, once you come to Christ, you're in the Father's hands. Your salvation is secure and safe, and you are saved as a child of God, according to what Scripture says, not according to what Pastor Jack says, according to the Scripture. Now, the question becomes then, well, did certain people that we may look at and outwardly, I won't say judge, but maybe that's what we do. Fruit inspector, that's what we are. And we look at the fruit of their life, we may go, well, they weren't really saved, or what happened, or we'll kind of come up with excuses. And the author is basically saying here, you have to really understand what he's saying in verse 
uh, 4, 5, and 6. So let's look at it. Let's kind of peel that onion, so to speak, and understand what he's saying. Because the reality is, if you are truly a child of God for a Christian who has placed their full trust and assurance in the payment of sin that Christ gave on the cross, for, for a Christian to lose their salvation, you are saying, if that's what you think, you are saying that God, sovereign God of the universe, would have to erase the mark that he's placed on that person who's put their trust in him. He would have to remove that Holy Spirit from them. He would have to cancel the deposit of the Holy Spirit he's placed in their life. He would have to break his promise. He would have to lie. He would have to revoke the guarantee that for for. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth him should not perish but have everlasting life. God would have to be lying to say that because eternal life starts the moment you say yes to Jesus, not the moment you get to heaven. He would have to remove the gift of the Holy Spirit and, and keep his inheritance. And so if you remember when we went through the Gospel of John, John chapter 10, this may be a verse you would remember maybe jot down verse 28 29 Jesus himself says this I give eternal life and you will not perish no one can snatch you out of my hand the father who has given you to me is greater than all no one can snatch them out of my father's hand that's what Jesus said so when I come to Christ if I'm sincere genuine we're going to look at those verses that he uses about tasted is one of the words that he uses and actually see what enlightened is another word that the writer says and see what they mean. But if I've truly done that according to the word of God, if I have truly, sincerely, by the way, you're the only one who knows whether you have or not, you and God. We can all look on the exterior and try to figure out if certain people have or not, even our, our own kids. I look at what God's doing in the life of my children, but here's the reality. Only they and God Almighty know if they have truly, genuinely, sincerely given their lives to Jesus Christ. I can look on the outside and make assumptions. And I can see certain fruit. And we can look at the book of 1 John that tells us many, many places. John tells us in 1 John many, many places. This is how you know for sure that you're a child of God. We can look at those things that he says. So what is he saying? He gives us some hints in verses 4, 5, and 6 of how to address this. And he talks about not just, not just the, um, in, in some of those words that he gives us in those verses, not just the peril of only tasting in the goodness of God, but the second point on your outline is the product of testing. And so he, he intentionally gives some of these words to us. So let's look at what some of these words are. One word he says, depending on your translation, is enlightened. Enlightened. Verse 4, for in the case of those who have once been enlightened. Enlightened is an ancient Greek word, and it kind of has similar meaning as what our English word means. And enlightened means, like you've got a it really means what it says. A new light shone on a certain particular subject or issue. In other words, you've got some new knowledge about an issue. So someone who's enlightened and simply enlightened may or may not actually be a child of God. Are you tracking with me this morning, church? Okay, just making sure. I'm tired too. Some of you are kind of looking a little, little, little glazed over. I know this is deep this morning. I know, I know. Just wait till we get to chapter 6 and chapter 7. I'm asking myself this week, why did we pick Hebrews again? This is some deep stuff. We're kind of getting into the deep end of the swimming pool. 
So enlightened does not mean being saved necessarily. Enlightened means discovering a new spiritual truth. Hopefully this morning as we're learning from God's word, we will be enlightened. That does not necessarily mean all of a sudden we've gotten saved. So enlightened is an interesting word. Matter of fact, if you need some scriptural proof for what I'm saying, go back and you, some of you will know this Old Testament story in the book of Numbers chapter 24. It says that Balaam was enlightened, his eyes were opened, but eventually he went to utter darkness. So his enlightenment didn't do anything for him. And enlightenment in our world doesn't do a lot for some people. They're enlightened and then they go home and they turn the light off apparently, go back in the dark. The second word he uses is tasted because he says, For in the case of those who have once been enlightened and tasted of the heavenly gift. Now there are some places in scripture where tasted, there's a different word that's used there. Like I think about Jesus, there's a scripture where it talks about Jesus tasted death. It doesn't just mean Jesus just kind of like we think of tasted. Jesus actually experienced it's a much stronger word. It's two different words. Sometimes the English, our English translation of the Bible doesn't really explain it in detail. But what he says here by tasting, it almost means to test something. Let me give you an example. How many of you like Costco or Sam's? Okay. Walmart? Okay, Walmart doesn't do it, so sorry. It's not a good example. Sam's or Costco. If you go to Sam's or Costco, I haven't been in a long time, but one of the reasons I used to like to go there is because I could eat free. You know what I'm talking about. You'll go over to the food section, and she'll be over there with a little grill, and she'll be sampling stuff, and people will be picking up a toothpick, and they'll be getting samples, and they'll try it a little bit. That's what the Scripture literally, that's a great illustration, not because I came up with it, but it's perfect for what he's saying there. It's a great illustration for what many people, hear me church, what many people in North American Christianity have done. They have gone through Sam's or Costco, they've gotten their toothpick, and they have tasted of the product, they've tasted it, but they were unwilling, as, well, as I have been when I go to Costco, that's why I like for, eat for free, they were unwilling to pay the price themselves to purchase the box of the product, so they just taste tested. That's what the author is saying. These people have not truly swallowed God's spirit and his word and salvation, they've kind of tasted it. And what they decided was, when they looked at the box there at the Costco stand, was nineteen ninety nine for, you know, whatever. Chicken nuggets, 55 chicken nuggets. I'm just going to sample, sample one. Thank you so much. You keep your box. And they walk away. That's the analogy that the writer is using. We taste of it, but we're not willing to pay the price for it. Then he says this. Not only have they been enlightened, not only have they tasted of it, but they've been made partakers of the Holy Spirit, which is a unique term in the New Testament. It actually means sharing with the Holy Spirit. It actually does mean having fellowship in some degree with the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> and you may, excuse me, you may read that and go, how is it possible that somebody who has fellowship and relationship with the Holy Spirit can still not be saved? Great question. Ask Jesus. Because Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 7, when people came to him and said, Wait a minute, Lord, we've done this in your name, we've done that in your name, we've, we've, we've partnered with you, we've been kind of in connection with you, we've cast out demons in your name, and Jesus goes, Depart from me, I never knew you. 
I don't know about you, but guys, I read the scripture and I have to really take a very close spiritual inventory and say, Jesus, have I gone through the motions of becoming saved and becoming a Christian or have I truly, am I truly all in? And we're going to talk about real quickly what all in looks like in just a minute. The last thing he says is tasted the good word of God. That means they've experienced in some capacity the goodness of God's word. In other words, they maybe saw it at work in them, which that's just the goodness and the grace of God that sometimes because of his goodness and grace, those of us in this world who really don't even know him still get to experience his goodness and grace because he's a good God. Like for everybody on the planet who woke up today but does not have a personal relationship with Jesus, that was a free gift to them and they don't even know who he is. That's just because God's good. Then he says this, how about this? He says, not only partakers of the Holy Spirit and tasted the good word of God, but of the powers of the age to come. In other words, this is, he's describing about how they even have experienced some degree of supernatural power. They maybe had a strong impression of, of heaven or hell even. And we know, again, we go back to what Jesus said in Matthew, there were people who were doing supernatural things and we're not following Jesus, or we're not believers. Church, be careful. There are people in the world, and it's going to get more and more that way, that are going to be doing supernatural things, and it's going to be easy to, for us to look at them if we're not careful and go, wow, they must be walking with God. Not necessarily. Be careful. Things aren't always as they seem. So then how do we really know then? If you're like me, I read that and I go, wait a minute. So somebody can have tasted the heavenly gift. They could have been partakers of the Holy Spirit. They could have tasted the good word of God. They have, could have had some kind of huge power, supernatural power, experience with God, and still not be a child of God. Yes, that's true. Still not be a child of God. So how do we know? I'm so glad you asked that question because he tells us how we can know. He starts this whole illustration about verse 7, 8, and 9 about how how the ground drinks the rain that falls upon it. If, it. if the ground drinks the rain and vegetation grows and fruit comes from it and, and there's some result, then you know that that person's really a child of God. And he says, but yet if thorns and thistles come up, then you know it's going to end up being burned. He's giving an illustration of, of the human heart. So how do we know? Here's, here's how we know. We know when we have placed our trust in the purpose and the power of God, when we have put, put our trust in the fact that Jesus purchased our salvation through what he did on the cross, we, we know because of the promise of the good news of the gospel, we know because of the everlasting covenant that God has with his people, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the fact that the word of God lodges in us and it is a seed that brings forth fruit and we see that fruit in our lives and we experience it. We know when we sense and feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit when we stray. And there's a laundry list of other things if you look in 1 John. He doesn't cover all those in chapter 6. But then he says this in verse 9. Beloved, we're convinced of better things concerning you. In other words, we don't want any of you to be falling away. By the way, falling away, if you're kind of trying to figure out what is this falling away. Falling away is more than just falling into sin. Falling away, he's saying, is actually departing from Jesus himself. 
Proverbs 24 says it this way. A righteous man will fall seven times and rise again, but the wicked shall fall by calamity. A good, a good New Testament example for you is the difference between a Peter and a Judas. Peter denied Jesus three times, but came back to Jesus in repentance. Judas, not so much. So how do we know? Where, where, do, where do we put our trust? If we can't put our trust in all those exterior things that might look like we're being saved, how do we know that we know that we know that we know that we're, that we're saved? Well, he tells us in verses 13 through 20. He tells us because God has made a promise. And God does not lie. God is a man of his word. He would never lie. He tells us two immutable or unchangeable things about God. That's very strong language. As a matter of fact, he starts talking about swearing, which my mom and daddy told me don't ever swear. Your word should be good enough. But he talks about the fact that God on this issue, on this issue, God not only made a promise, but he swore. He took an oath. He swore on himself. You've heard people swear. Well, I swear to God. That's not a good thing to say, by the way. You hear people in our culture say it. God is kind of saying that right now about himself. I swear on me that what I'm telling you is not just a promise, it's an oath. And the absolute reality is, if you truly know me, then you know me. And nothing can take you away from me and our relationship together if you've truly been saved. It's a promise from God's word. It's an oath he has made. He has sworn on himself that that's true. The absolute reliability of God's promise is how we know that we're saved if we believe the absolute truth of God's word and what God's promise is. What is that to us? Very simply, it's this. He says what that is for us. Verse 19. This hope is an anchor of the soul. A hope that is both sure and steadfast and one which enters within the veil This hope like an anchor to the soul. So when I repent of my sins and I say, yes, Lord Jesus, come into my life and save me from my sins. I know that I am unworthy. I am unrighteous. There is nothing righteous about me. There is none righteous. No, not one. And I know that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. So, Lord, I cast everything about me on you, and I trust you wholeheartedly, 100% complete, based on the authority, the promise, the oath in your word, that if I do that, you will be an anchor for my soul. That, my friend, is the simplicity of the gospel. That's how you come to know Jesus. And at that point, the Holy Spirit of God comes in and helps you grow. Now, you may say, well, Pastor Jack, explain all those people that say that that, that's happened to them, and and they're just kind of floundering. I wish I had an explanation. I don't. I think what happens sometimes, quite honestly, is we as the church, when we have something like that happen to someone in our congregation who comes to know Jesus, we as the church, generally speaking, fail sometimes to help that person do what he said at the very beginning of that chapter, and that is to grow in their walk with Jesus. And what happens a lot of times is people get bored as you and I would get bored with the baby food. And after a while, they're like, well, if nobody's going to give me something deeper, I'm going to go find something deeper. And unfortunately, sometimes the thing that they substitute for going deeper with God is out there in the world. And it looks like they walked away from Jesus. Only God Almighty knows their heart. 
So you say, Pastor Jack, how, how do I not let that happen to me? He told you at the beginning of the chapter, lay aside the elementary things and press on to maturity. The sure, fast way to not fall away from Jesus, the sure, fast way to make sure you and I are following after the Lord is to make sure we are growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. We continue to grow. We continue to get in God's word. We continue to pray. We continue to surround ourselves with people who are spiritually smarter than we are. I'm not telling you anything that I myself not trying to do. I'm trying to read. I'm trying to talk to other pastors. I'm trying to talk to people who are smarter than me to help me grow. And all of us have to do that. And it's very much compared to, which is why he talks about elementary, and, and as we go on further, he'll kind of model this again to the physical growth of a person. It's very much tied into us as we grow spiritually. Just as none of us in here would want people serving us baby food, that's probably because at some point you grabbed the spoon out of your mama's hand and said, I'm going to feed myself, or the fork, or whatever, chopsticks, whatever you have. And the same way spiritually, he's saying we have to get to the point where we start feeding ourselves. It's not, not that we don't learn from other people, but we also are feeding ourselves so we grow. So here's the question this morning as we wrap up. Do you have that anchor? You ever been out on a, out on a, a lake or an ocean and been on a boat and it's, a storm comes up and it's, or just a strong wind and it's all over the place? I mean, you're bobbing up and down. James says it this way, that your, your boat is tossed to and fro. You're tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. And the reason why that happens in culture so many times is because people are not anchored to the sure, solid promise and truth and rock of Jesus Christ. So I hope you know that rock today. I hope you have that hope in your heart. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you. As the song says, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Lord, I pray right now in Jesus' name that you would look at every, including me, every human heart in this room. I pray, Lord, that as we're praying to you, we would just say, Lord, search me, know me, try me. Lord, all those things that the writer mentioned are, are not bad things. Partaking with the Holy Spirit, tasting of the Word of God, all those things, it, seeing spiritual things happen, those are not bad things, but those are exterior, external things. Lord, we are so good. We are so good. I'm so good. At changing the external. Wearing the mask. Making it look like I feel good when I may feel horrible. We're just, culturally, we're so good at that. We just change our face and try to convince ourselves that that's reality on the inside. And how we truly come to know you starts on the inside. So Lord, I pray if there's anyone in this room, any friend in this room. Who'd say, I have all the external stuff, but I don't have the most important thing, and that is Jesus on the inside. Lord, would you speak to that heart right now?
Lord, no guilt. There's no condemnation for those of us that are in Christ Jesus. I, I pray, Lord, as, as you reveal yourself to us, if there's, if there's just one, maybe there's two, maybe there's ten, twenty, I don't know. If there's just one who'd say, you know what, that's me. Got all those things on the outside, but I've never truly committed to Jesus on the inside. Friend, while you're praying, if that's you this morning, no, no guilt. You don't need to be embarrassed. We, you need to rejoice. And God said that to you this morning. Confess and say, Lord, I, I need you. More than all those things that you list about the outside, those are great, and those will come. And only, those things will not only come, but they will stay for eternity if I have you on the inside. And so right now, I ask you to come into my life, Lord Jesus. Thank you for the payment of the sin that you... My sin that you paid on the cross. A debt you didn't know, but a debt I could not pay. I accept that free gift right now and I ask you, Lord, to come into my life to change me. Help me to grow. I don't want to stay in the, in the spiritual baby food. I want to grow spiritually. Would you help me do that? If that's a prayer of your heart, just pray that to the Lord. In just a minute, our worship team, Will and Bethany are going to lead us in a great hymn of invitation. And if you need to talk to someone, my friend Heath will be here. Our worship intern, my friend Stephen, will be here. We'd love to pray with you, encourage you. If God spoke to your heart in any way this morning, please, please don't slip out of this room without nailing down whatever God has said to you. And one last thing I would say, I know for the vast majority of us in here, We'd say, wow, you know what? I've got those things on the outside, but praise be to God, I have Jesus on the inside. If that's a prayer of your heart, we're going to sing a song of celebration for you in just a moment. Just thanking God for the assurance we have, not because of us, but because of His Word. I'm going to ask you, if you know that to be true in your life, that you just sing it out as a, as a thank you to Jesus today. Lord, have your way during this invitation. We give it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please stand with us. We're going to sing this song out. If you need to make some kind of decision or commitment to the Lord, we'll be standing here waiting for you. If you celebrate knowing that Jesus for sure is your King and Savior, sing it out this morning as Will and Bethany lead us today. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of Hope at Crossroads. We're so glad that you joined us for the message today. If Pastor Jack or any of our team can serve you, please reach out to us. You can send us an email at jack at hope at crossroads.org or by visiting our website. We would be most grateful to know where you are listening because we have people all over the world listening to our podcast. You can send us a message through our website. We would appreciate your prayers for us as we are in the midst of a building campaign to reach more children and families in our local community in Greenville County, South Carolina. If you would like to help, you can always make your gift online at our website, hope at crossroads.org. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Hope at Crossroads.